You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Well, good evening, everybody. How are you tonight? It's good to see you on Wednesday, first Wednesday here. And uh, I want to talk to you tonight for the next few moments. I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done before. So it's either going to be really good or an unmitigated disaster. I'm just going to tell you right up front. I'm taking two parables, and I'm going to run them parallel tonight, and I want to show you something that Jesus teaches us about prayer, and not only prayer, but consistent, continual, persistent prayer. I want to talk to you about suddenly prayers tonight. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11, okay? So get to Luke chapter 11, and then I also want you to find Luke chapter 18 and just kind of either put that ribbon there or put your finger there and hold it there because we're going to be back and forth between chapter 11 and chapter 18. I want to start by reading Luke's version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Luke's version, his recollection of the folks that he interviewed of what the Lord's prayer was on that day. It's an abbreviated version from that of Matthew. And yet it contains the essence of of the Lord's prayer. So as we get started tonight, I just want us to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts because I believe that God is in this place tonight and some of you have been dealing with certain things for so long and you're about ready to give up. And I believe these two parables, what Jesus says with his own words, is going to cause you to continue to press in and believe God for all that he's promised for you. Let's pray. Father, I don't come with eloquent words tonight, enticing words of men's wisdom, but I'm asking you to show up with the power and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, simply this, that you anoint the words you've given me to say tonight as they go forth, that you anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them. And Holy Spirit, for some reason, if a barrier is there and someone can't, speak directly to their hearts tonight so that they may be edified, you may be glorified, and your will may be accomplished. And for that, by faith, we give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Lord's Prayer is essentially a guide on what we need every single day. They ask him, teach us to pray. How how should we approach the Father every day? And he says, I want you to approach him this way. I want you to approach him with your daily needs. And, And first of all, he's like, I need, Lord, we're asking for your will to be done. We're asking for your kingdom to come. We're asking for you to provide for our daily provisions in this. We're asking you to keep us from temptation. We're asking you to help us to not sin. And if someone sins against us, to forgive them the way that you have forgiven us. It's a daily prayer. It's a consistent prayer. It's an all-encompassing prayer. It's one where you lay everything before the Lord and you say, God, I need you to guide me today. It's one that many people pray every single day. That being said, after all that's been done so far, his disciples said, teach us to pray the way John's disciples taught him to pray. 
us, his disciples to pray. So Jesus says this. It's, it's very simple. You can literally say this prayer in 20 to 25 seconds every single day. And then he does a sharp pivot. He shifts gears. He changes from this is the consistent way you ought to pray to immediately, without provocation, without a question, without anything, Jesus then says, but there are other times you need to pray differently. You need to pray not just a consistent, because these are asking God to take care of these daily needs that you know about, these daily things that you're going to face. But then he says, there are some times that things are going to arise that you were not expecting. They come all of a sudden. Suddenly they just show up, and you don't know what to do about those moments. A couple of things I need you to see. Number one is this. Sudden needs tend to make us anxious. You ever notice that? You can pray the Lord's Prayer every single day. And as long as all those things are being done, as long as you look at it and you go, okay, your name may be glorified. May your kingdom come. Give me our, the daily food I need, my daily bread. Give me all those things. Keep me out of sin. Keep others from sinning against me. Help me to forgive others. Don't let anything, so what we're saying is, don't let anything too bad happen against me that's going to cause me to have a real problem to forgive someone. Make, if I got to forgive someone, make it easy for me. You know, just some small slight that's there. But then there's times when something comes up that it's not what you expect. All of these things, he's saying, you should anticipate God helping you and you praying for these things. But then there are needs that show up. And you are not anticipating at all. It's the bill that you didn't see coming. It's the diagnosis that you weren't expecting. It's the family situation that you didn't have any idea. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with fallout. It's the addiction that someone in your family has. You had no idea. Now it's affecting you. Immediately, Jesus then says, after this prayer, he says, teach us to pray. He says, this is how you should pray. Immediately, starting in verse 5, this is what he says. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose, the friend that you go to, suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. You should pray for the daily needs. You should expect these things. But then he says, but then there are times there's going to be a need arise that you weren't expecting, at a time you weren't expecting, at a moment that was not convenient, and the place you run to for help does not seem to want to help at all. Seven chapters later, Jesus is teaching his disciples and speaking to the Pharisees when he tells another not similar story, but similar meaning, parable. In chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, it says this, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. 
There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So two parables. One, there's a man who has a friend show up in the middle of the night. A second one, there is an unjust judge and there's a widow with a great cause repeatedly going to this judge. He even says this judge is not a good judge. He's an evil judge. Neither feared God nor cared about people. This care. So this is the shock value Jesus is starting his parables with. A parable in and of itself at his base level is a comparison. So Jesus is comparing God to these things and prayer to these things. The first parable is about more than anything else. It's about this man's reputation is on the line. So if you, in those days, you were expected to provide hospitality. I mean, there were even, um, there were even commands and edicts about when strangers came through, you were expected to show hospitality. You were expected to give them um, a place to lodge. You were expected to give them uh, food if they needed that. This is not a stranger that stopped. That, that was even for strangers. This is not even a stranger. A friend of his has stopped by. Probably, look, not the same day. Probably didn't get a text, okay? <laughs> probably didn't get an email. Probably didn't, didn't get a notification, okay? Just showed up. He's traveling. Just shows up. There's no way to just pop the ETA to him or anything like that. He has no idea this guy's coming. Shows up at midnight. Right in the dead of night, needs a place to stay, and he's hungry. He has nothing. His reputation is on the line. The reason why is hospitality was an expectation. You were to assume that God would send someone to you in order to care for them. Part of it was you were to be prepared as if someone. I don't know about you, but that just that feels so strange and archaic to me. We don't live that way, right? We barely have front porches anymore, right? This is not the way we live. This is not at all. If you were to say, do you live this way? I'm like, no, absolutely not. You know, there are some of us that, that you know, you just like your sleep. You, you do things and, you know, I've told people all the time, don't ask me for any, any kind of advice or a decision after 8 o'clock at night. It's not going to be good, you know? You, you, you ever seen, you ever seen the, the picture um, where it's got the, uh, it's someone with a party and it's got a picture, a banner up there and it just says, Welcome. Please leave by 9 p.m. I get that sometimes. You know what I mean? That's our culture, not this culture. There is an expectation that God might actually send someone to you that needs his care that you're expected to do this. He is ill-prepared for this. There is no bread in the house. There's no food at that moment. There probably will be the next day, but not at that moment. He was not prepared to host them, nor to show them God's compassion and grace. That's the first. His reputation, and at the same time, God's reputation is on the line. The second parable doesn't have to do with that. This is a woman who is going, a widow who is going to a judge, an unjust judge, and she makes her case repeatedly to him. Something has been done to her. Something has been taken from her or is going to be taken from her, stolen from her, or her 
her possessions or her physical body is in danger of being harmed by someone. She said, give me justice against my adversary. The word justice there literally means give me vindication. I have been done wrong. I need someone to advocate for me and to vindicate me for the things that are being done to me that I did not deserve at all. I need vindication here. Two parables. Jesus says, both of them, I want to teach you about prayer. Both of them are things that weren't expected, that they didn't see coming, that fell outside of the Lord's Prayer, which is daily, because here's what we tend to think. If I pray the Lord's Prayer, if I believe the Lord's Prayer, then I'll never have a need. I'll never have a problem where I have to forgive someone. I'll never have an issue with provision. It'll all just work out. And Jesus said, I'm teaching you to trust God on a daily basis. Can I just tell you something? God tends to grow our faith by giving us more tests. The only way you know you advance in school, in life, and even in your spiritual walk is when you are tested to see, can you advance to the next thing God is calling you to? But sudden needs tend to make us anxious. So Jesus said, I need you to expect these things. The second thing is this. We choose to trust that God's provision and his justice will come by shameless persistence. This is the remarkable thing about what Jesus is teaching. And it is completely opposite against what people believe. Some people believe and even teach today. Let me show you this. Starting in verse 8 from the first parable, okay? So this is the one where he goes to his friend's house. Another friend has showed up, and he's asking for bread. And his friend says, it's late. We're in bed. The door's locked. Can't help you. Okay, so this is where we pick it up. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Do you get that? That guy, the guy I'm talking about right now, he doesn't care one thing, but I'm telling you, he likes to sleep. And if you keep on knocking on that door, he's going to get up because you won't give up because of your shameless persistence. So then Jesus says, and so I tell you, Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You see what Jesus is telling us? Not just once. Look at the second parable. The widow with the unjust judge. The one who neither fears God nor cares about people. Here's what it says. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 18. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. The words of Christ. I'm going to see that she gets justice 
because she's wearing me out with her constant request. Do you know what blows my mind? Is for some reason, we think it, we say it, we even teach it sometimes, that if you just believe something strong enough and say it with the right tone and say it in the right way and in the right time, God's got to do it right then. Come on. Jesus is dispelling that notion. What he's saying is this. Sometimes it doesn't come right away. He says, when that happens, you've got to keep on asking. You've got to keep on seeking. You've got to keep on knocking through shameless persistence with the woman and the judge. He basically says, here's the judge says, the unjust judge. He says, I don't care about anything, but she's wearing me out, so I'll give her justice. Prayer is not a one-time encounter, and then you always get immediate results. Because here's what God knows. He knows if that's the way things work, he knows that the only time you'll ever come to him is just to say a one-time prayer and get what you want and walk away, and the next time something comes back. Prayer is continually talking to God with persistence. Prayer is based on absolute faith in God, knowing that his character has assured you that the answer will come. Jesus is saying this. God actually expects you to keep on praying until the answer comes. And sometimes we just give up. And we think God's not listening. God doesn't care, or God doesn't want this for me. And Jesus said, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And the answer will come, and you will find what you are seeking, and the door will be opened. To the unjust judge, He describes, I will give her the vindication that she so deserves. Not because I think she deserves it, but because she's wearing me out. Do you understand? God is not intimidated by the size or the severity or the complicated nature of your problem. That God is not bothered by the persistence of your prayers. He wants you to keep coming back to him. Why? Because every time you come to him, you are reminded that he is the source. Every time you keep having to come back to him, you're reminded that he's the only answer to the problems that you have. Every time you keep having to bring it back to him, you realize you've come again to the end of yourself and you've come to the only one who can answer your prayers and that is the Lord. And you have to choose that. You have to choose to believe. And listen, I love it when I get immediate answers to my prayer. I love that. It's happened before. Love it. If if I'm signing up for anything, I'm signing up for that. Because that's the way I'll draw it up, right? 
but I know what's best for my children when they were growing up. I knew that if I gave them something too fast or too soon, it would do more harm than it would do good, or it wouldn't allow them to mature in the right way and grow in the right way. If I know that, and you know that, doesn't the Lord know that about us? Third thing I want you to see is this. Sudden needs do not change God's faithfulness. The Lord's prayer is all about consistency. You consistently coming to God and God consistently providing for your life. But a sudden need does not change God's faithfulness. It actually reveals his faithfulness in a greater way than you've experienced before. Going back to the first parable, the one where the friend goes to the other friend who's the neighbor and asks for the bread. The neighbor says, no. And Jesus said, he may not do it because he's your friend, but he'll do it if you keep on knocking because of shameless persistency. Here's what he says. He starts to make a comparison. Now he brings the parable of the person to the character of God. In verse 11, he says this, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's describing, the only way I can describe this is an abiding provision, a constant provision. He's reminding us of a couple of things. He's reminding us that he's already given us his son. Jesus is there and he said, he's given me. I'm giving my life as a sacrifice. But also he says, God is going to give the Holy Spirit. If the Father has already given us his Son and his Spirit, is there any good thing that he would ever withhold from us? No. I mean, listen, when he gave us Jesus, he bankrupted heaven of its most precious commodity, his Son. You say, what do you mean by that? Listen, I would give you the shirt off my back. I would probably lay down my life for you, but you can't have my son or my daughter. Okay? The Father has given us his best and his son. And as his son ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit, the third person of the Godhead of the Trinity. God himself, as Christ came to this earth, decided that he would abide with us in human form for a while. But when Jesus went back to heaven, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would abide with us forever in spirit. An abiding provision. So if I have a need, if I have a need of daily bread, if God has given me his Son and his Spirit, Is there anything that he won't do for me? Is there anything good that he would withhold from me? No. Now, here's the thing. I don't get to determine what good is. He does. Just like with my children growing up, they didn't know what was good for them or what was best for them. I did. He knows better than I knew for my kids what's best for me. And so I have to trust in him 
and his faithfulness. Abiding provision and abiding presence. In the second parable, the one where the unjust judge and the widow comes to him and she keeps coming for vindication. And the Bible says that he says, I don't fear God or care about anybody. I don't even care if she gets justice, but I'll give it to her because she's wearing me out with her constant request. Here's what he says. Verse six, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But notice, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? He says, God's going to show himself to be faithful. But when I come again, how many will I find that are actually faithful? How many will stay with me when it takes longer than an immediate request? How many are going to remain faithful to me? See, the passage actually begins as a transition from chapter 7. It's the same talk that's going on. So Jesus begins to talk to them about something. Here's what chapter 7 was talking about. Jesus was talking about the end of the days, the end of time when the Son of Man is going to come again. In chapter uh, 7, verses 22 to 27, it's not on the screen, just listen. It says, he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you'll, you'll long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. And when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. He says, there, I'm telling you right now, before the Son of Man comes again, you're going to think he's never coming. You're going to think that he's delaying so long, I wonder if he's ever going to come. It's why he says, but when he does come, is he going to find people faithful? It's interesting that for thousands of years, Israel waited on the Messiah to come. For thousands of years, they read scriptures and prophecies and looked to the skies, wondering when the Messiah was going to come. And God didn't send it, Jesus, didn't send him when somebody read the prophecy right from Isaiah, or read the prophecy right from Daniel. Do you know what it said? He sent his son. Galatians 4.4, but when the time, the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God didn't send Jesus when people thought it was the right time for him to come. He sent him when everything was ready. 
He sent him when the time was right, when all things were ready. And don't you know, don't you know people were going, what's he waiting for? Don't you know they looked at the circumstances and they said, I mean, what more needs to happen before Messiah needs to come? I mean, look at the world around us right now. What more needs to happen? And for 400 years, between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, people wondered, how long? How long are we going to have to wait? What more does God have to accomplish? And what they couldn't see is that God was setting things up for Jesus to come, not just to give his life as a ransom, but so that the gospel, the good news about what he was about to do, could be shared with the world. You see, during those 400 years, two empires rose into power that ruled the world. The Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. And with the Greek Empire, what God established was this. For the first time, for the first time since the Tower of Babel, there was a language that was common unto all mankind. It was the language of commerce, much like English is today. The Greek language became the language that everyone who wanted to do business knew how to speak. It wasn't their native tongue, it was their necessary tongue. For the first time, now the gospel could be communicated in one language to all people. The Greek empire came and went. Strangely enough, the language stayed. The Roman Empire came into being. The Roman Empire did not replace it with Rome's language, Italian, Latin. No, no. They had their native language. But the necessary language remained Greek. The Roman Empire brought in a system of roadways because as they were conquering all the territories and making sure that all the territories were remaining peaceful, they built roadways that were now safe to travel on. Not just safe, not just safe for, um, for you to walk on and for animals to travel on. No, no, safe because the Roman peace, Roman, it's a little bit of a um, misnomer. Roman peace was, if you get out of order, we're going to kill you. But people felt safe traveling on roads now, and they had safe roads to travel on. So now for the first time in history, there's a safety of travel, a common language that the gospel could now be shared. When everyone was wondering, what is God waiting on before Jesus comes? God is setting things up. For all of you who say, how long, Lord, until you show up and vindicate my cause? For all of you who ask, how long, Lord, will you wait to do all that you have promised to do? You said you were a healer and I wait. You said that you were a provider and yet I still seem to struggle. You said that you are my peace and yet I still have anxiety all the time. You said you're a reconciler, and yet my family feels broken. 
How long, O Lord? You don't know everything God is doing behind the scenes to prepare the way for him to answer your prayer. It is beyond my comprehension and yours. No one could have predicted that God would have used ungodly nations like the Greek and Roman Empire to set the stage for his gospel. No. What it looked like was these nations were doing everything they wanted to do and spitting in the face of God, and God was using them to prepare for the gospel. When you think everything is turning against you, you have no idea that God is in the background working to turn it around for you, for your good and his glory. You can't see that. And yet he's there. You don't know how God is meticulously working to weave your circumstances and his deliverance into the tapestry of his great story of redemption. God knows how to use the actions of your enemies to bring about his purpose. What the enemy meant for harm, God turns it around for your good. But you can't see it when you think the enemy's trying to harm you. And yet God is at work. What you can know is that God is faithful. What you can know is the God that has brought you here We'll see you through. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3 says this. Listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He doesn't say you're not going to go through rivers of difficulty. What he says is you won't drown. He doesn't say you won't have to go through fires of oppression sometimes. He says you'll not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. What Jesus teaches us and his disciples and all who will listen, is that though it feels sometimes like the circumstances are coming so quickly and are so immediate, and it feels sometimes that God's not answering our prayers right away, we want to give up. Jesus said, do not give up. Keep on knocking through shameless persistency. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep your constant requests coming. Because if a friend who doesn't care about you will get up in the middle of the night and provide your needs, how much more will your heavenly Father do that? And if an unjust judge who doesn't fear God or care about people or care about justice will give someone justice and vindication, how much more will the Lord vindicate you and he'll do it swiftly? Here's what I've learned about God. Sometimes you wait and you wait and you wait and then that sudden need becomes a suddenly of his grand appearance into your, into your trouble and everything changes. What I believe is, if you'll keep praying, if you'll keep believing, all of a sudden, God's going to show up 
and you're going to be amazed at what he does in your life. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, in these next few moments, we're going to pray. We're going to do what you tell us to do and pray one for the other. So what I'm asking tonight is, though many are weary of praying, weary of waiting, I pray for a boldness. I pray for an abundance of faith to arise. The faith is not as based in our ability to pray. The faith that is based in that we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm not asking you to be impressed with our prayers. I'm asking you to be moved by our persistence. I'm asking you to tune your ear to us, to extend your strong right arm to us, as we come to you time and time again, we believe that we like Galatians 4.4, when the time was right, God sent his son. When the time is right, when you meticulously have worked everything out behind the scenes, that you're going to bring us suddenly into our life. It's going to change everything. As we bring our needs to you tonight, we come with that kind of faith, those types of prayers, that type of belief. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. We're going to worship in song. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and stand here and uh, be ready to pray with you. If you have a need tonight, whatever that need is, whether it's a physical need, whether it's financial, maybe it's emotional, uh, maybe it's uh, a relational need, whatever that need is, uh, I'm going to ask you to just come and ask someone to pray with you. Let two or more agree on something and touch heaven and believe that God still is on his throne. God cares about your need and God is going to meet that need at just the right time and just the right way. These altars are open. Invite you to come. Let's worship together. Hearts we sing, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. 
situation. Sing this song together. Move the immovable. We sing. Move the immovable. Break the unbreakable. 
God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe. Sing it again. Come on, say Listen, some of you have been praying for a long time. You prayed again tonight. And some of you are going to have to keep on praying. God's going to do it in his timing, in his way. What you can't do is go home and wake up in the morning and allow the enemy to whisper in your head that nothing has changed. You have to believe that God is doing things behind the scenes. You cannot even comprehend to prepare the way for him to do something in your life that you would never imagined because God is able. Amen. And God cares about you more than you care about yourself. Amen. If you believe God is faithful for your life, can you give him praise one more time in this place? Amen.
And here's what I want you to do this week. A lot of you have needs, but I want you to pray this week, not only for your needs, I want you to pray and say, God, every person that was in that room tonight, every person that has been praying for a long time, God, I'm lifting them up. I want you for the remainder of this week and as long as God puts it in your mind to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ because there is power and agreement in prayer. Amen? So I want you to do that. Listen, I hope you'll be here. Thanks for being here tonight. I hope you'll be here Sunday. We're continuing week two of our Ruth series about finding God in the ordinary. So I hope you'll be here this Sunday. But allow me the privilege to bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.